You're listening to the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington podcast. Take a moment to center yourself in this space and enjoy this week's sermon. Our next song, Follow the Drinking Gourd, has a history steeped in the passage to freedom for the enslaved. Slaves often wrote songs with hidden meanings. Many times, these songs provided clues to help other slaves escape from captivity. The drinking gourd was a name for the hollow gourd that the slaves would use to collect water. However, in this song, it also is a code name for the Big Dipper, a constellation of stars that help escaping slaves figure out which direction to travel. The old man is a code for the captain of the Underground Railroad. When the sun comes back means spring. The first quail is also code for spring as quail started calling in early April in Alabama. Dead trees are private blazes on the trees leading north. Left foot peg leg refers to a specific captain a guide on the Underground Railroad. Oh! 
Not very far from here, on Upper Street, in downtown Lexington, there's a church. Big surprise! There's a lot of churches in Lexington, Kentucky. But this one has something interesting. Just behind where the minister sits, behind the pulpit, there's a hidden door with a narrow, twisting staircase that leads to the space above the ceiling in the sanctuary. There, just out of sight, is the original brick of the building, except some of the bricks are missing. Crawl through the space, and there it is, a small, unadorned room. Not much else, but it's there. If this little hidden room was not located in Kentucky and not at historic St. Paul's African Methodist Episcopal Church, you might not think much of it. The church I served in Concord, Massachusetts, had an often overlooked door hidden behind the pulpit that led to a weird array and network of winding staircases and little rooms crammed with artifacts. It's nothing out of the ordinary in many places. But here in Lexington, we're asked to look closer. For that small room through that hole in the bricks up those twisty, narrow stairs behind a concealed door where the minister sits is a former stop on the Underground Railroad. St. Paul's AME is one of the oldest, if not the oldest, continuously used house of worship in Lexington, Kentucky. Having been founded in 1820 and at its current site since 1826. The stop on the Underground Railroad was built in, the, in 1850, which was 11 years before the American Civil War started. Kentucky was one of the last stops on the Underground Railroad before crossing the Ohio River to the free states. Though Kentucky was officially a border state that did not secede from the Union, and there are stories, plenty of stories, of Union and Confederate rebels camping side by side on UK's campus, what is now UK's campus. And there are battles throughout the state, but even then, it was still a border state. What's also important to know is that Lexington at the time had one of the largest slave markets before the Civil War. So to take note that there was a stop on the Underground Railroad is important. It makes it even more harrowing to contextualize it. It wasn't that Kentucky was a hop, skip, and jump to freedom in Ohio. It was perilous. That whole point of our history was. In recent history, members of St. Paul's AME have raised money to preserve this stop on the Underground Railroad. Many members didn't even know it was there. This story is but one of Kentucky's past. There are many others, though. From Oldham County to Nicholasville to Maysville, the Underground Railroad was an important part of our history here in this Commonwealth. And as with any history, though, what is being lifted up here this morning leaves out a lot of the parts that we probably don't want to talk about. I don't know about you, but I remember in grade school, we would read books about children moving to new homes and only to discover hidden passages in them. It was all so magical sounding. And we learned they were part of the Underground Railroad. So many of us as children wanted homes with hidden passages. Who wouldn't? And even better if those little tucked away corners helped people in our history. 
who wouldn't want to help people? The idealism of childhood is so fierce. But the education ended right there. Anything else is often by our own discovery in life, hidden passages in American history, a history that was not magical, but still hopeful. And the lengths that human beings will go to subvert the evils of our time is as an astounding thing. If you pay attention, it's right here in our time too. Now, once you cut through the weeds of subjectivity around this, you know, you know how it goes, right? One person's evil is another person's good, people will say, and so on and so on. Once you get that jolt to wake up, once you take a stand for your values and join with others, right there, you'll discover people trying to subvert great injustice. They're right there. Those who would want to ignore injustice or preserve the world as it is for their own gain will distract you mightily. And it's so easy these days. Look to any great issue confronting us and the distractions are aplenty. Israel and Palestine, Ukraine and Russia, the climate crisis, the threats to our democracy and democracies worldwide, women's rights, trans rights, even the pandemic itself was infused with conspiracy distractions. But still for me, even with all that, I have hope. Because I see that there are those who will not give up. And I read the history of something like the Underground Railroad here in Kentucky, the last slave state before freedom for many, and I see hope. I see people risking their own freedom and livelihoods. And I see that human history compels us to hope, even at its bleakest. We remember the past, not to lift up as an idol, which is something churches are prone to do and religious communities. It's nothing new. Many of us in this room know the story of Moses, right? Who went for a little walk to have a talk with a burning bush, and right there, the golden calf was immediately built. <laughs> Maybe it's our nature to hold on for dear life. But no, we remember the past so that we can be reminded that there is always a way through our trials and tribulations. So that we can see that yes, it will get harder, no issue is black and white. Nothing is simple. People will suffer. But also there can be a joy and resilience and resistance in that suffering. And that can accomplish something quite marvelous for us. Last week, Brian Stevenson's four principles for changing the world were lifted up. Part of the story we're hearing today is in that spirit. Maybe not to change the world, at least immediately, but to give us space to shift our perspective in whatever way we need. Only you can tell yourself what you need in this moment, right? And maybe Stevenson's four principles here will offer a path of discernment for you. He begins with what he calls getting proximate, getting close to the injustices around us. He writes, We've got to find ways to get closer to the poor, the neglected, the abused, the excluded, the marginalized, because it's in proximity to these communities that we hear things that we will not otherwise hear, see things that we will not otherwise see. I would even get 
add, we should get closer to what's happening in our own lives and this community right here too. Because much of what we face in this world is not just something that affects people out there. It impacts many of us, often in ways that we're not even aware of yet. Getting proximate, getting close is also about vulnerability and compassion. I believe it was Charlie Chaplin, of all people, who said, we think too much and we feel too little. Vulnerability and compassion get us out of our heads and into a space where we can feel the needs of the world. Yes, there is pain, but also joy and celebration. Look to any community that has endured great trials. There are resilient, joyful practices that have gotten them through it time and time again. So we get proximate. We get close. We open ourselves up. We admit we don't know everything and that the lived experience of those around us is not something we can just Google or intellectualize. It's something that's felt. Stevenson continues with his second principle, changing the narrative. So get close, change the story. And this isn't about changing the details of the story. There's enough misinformation in our world for that already. It's about truth-telling and surprise that requires more vulnerability. Probably more so than getting to know someone that is suffering because in truth-telling, we disrupt what could otherwise make us comfortable or allow us to avoid what's going on around us. I know I've done that plenty of times. I remember back when the Confederate statues were being moved here in Lexington, Kentucky. I had conversations with several people in this community. And it became clear very quickly that those conversations were about worrying about a family with deep roots in the South, who were perhaps Confederate soldiers or slaveholders themselves. And now that these monuments were deemed bad, does that make my relatives bad or evil? Or what about me? These are people my family loved and I appreciate them. Am I bad or evil? I cannot relate to that specific incident. My family immigrated from Scandinavia and Ireland and plopped down in Chicago. But for many Chicagoans like me, there's a legacy that's talked about even less than slavery in the South. It's the legacy of redlining and segregation that is still felt today in my home city. It's a legacy of machine politics and how that worked for one segment of the population, but left out so many others. It's about the age-old stories my family would tell with laughter about how if you didn't pay your dues to the Chicago Democratic Party, your garbage wasn't picked up, or worse. We need not look for, far for instances like this in each and every history we have. And the questions of, does that make me a problem or the ancestors who participated inherently evil, that's such an either-or conversation. I don't know about you, but I've not lived a perfect life so far. I've done things imperfectly. And I hope one day my own future ancestors can hold the complexity of who I was and the ancestors before me, knowing that it's so much more than good and evil, that it's all about the in-between. That's what Stevenson is getting at here. 
Get away from the politics of division, fear, and anger, of black and white, of good and evil, and realize it's far more complex than we could have imagined. And that in holding that complexity, a depth emerges that otherwise wouldn't have been available to us. Now I say that, that's probably the hardest thing to do in this world right now, right? Worldwide, we are headed somewhere that is raw, reactive, and angry, and some of you would say we're already there. And maybe all we can do is ensure this place is less reactive and celebrate that. Third, this is actually Stevenson's fourth. Learn to be uncomfortable. Great. All right, let's go be uncomfortable. (laughs) The great theologian Reinhold Niebuhr is famous for having once said, the purpose of the church is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. Which sounds all well and good until you're sitting in the chairs or pews or you're up here. Do you think the church is ready and raring to get uncomfortable? (laughs) But similar to the reactive age we live in, I believe there's less and less capacity around us for discomfort. Challenge my beliefs and you are the enemy. You are dead to me and you are out of my life. Thank you very much. So on and so forth. But if we look to any movement for change, there is discomfort. In Stevenson's own words, he says he knows of no examples where justice prevailed and liberty triumphed and no one had to do anything uncomfortable or inconvenient. Now, if you're a conf- you're conflict avoidant or a recovering conflict avoider, I'm sure there's a good amount of us here. Notice I just said us, right? <laughs> Me too. It's dreadful to think about. And yet, and yet, not all conflict or discomfort is a terrible thing especially when we're talking about living our shared values and being a force of compassion in our world. Or in other words, the words of the late representative John Lewis, make good trouble. It won't feel comfortable, but it's good. Lastly, stay hopeful. Get close, tell the truth, be uncomfortable, be okay with it, and hold on to hope. Stevenson talks about hopelessness as the enemy of justice. Now, I never thought about it that way. But when we give up hope, when we give up the possibility of something being different than it is right now, then we are in our own way feeding into the problem. What could I possibly do so I won't do anything? But hope also goes deeper. I would suggest hope even pulls us to the other three principles talked about. If you have hope, you will seek it out in others. Get close to communities seeking change, communities suffering and resisting, and yes, you'll find hope. Sometimes a very fragile hope, but still. Start telling the truth about the narratives around us and hope will emerge. And wade into the work where your hands get dirty, people will get upset. You will get uncomfortable. But hope gives you the tools to let go and to press on. Now, we don't have an underground railroad in this country today. But I see these principles all over our history. A tragic but hopeful history. A history of suffering, but yes, great courage too. 
So yes, we don't have an underground railroad in this moment right now, but we do have women sneaking over state borders to get access to reproductive health care. We have LGBTQ people, especially our trans and non-binary friends, leaving cities and states for more welcoming places. I think of a family in this community who left with their trans son so he could be accepted. And just wait, we have the climate crisis and the coming wave of refugees, they will come. None of these are the same problem. They're all complex in their own way, but we can look to history and have hope. People will support and fight and not give up. And in many ways, if we stop the noise just for a moment, we can see it's happening right now. That's the power that's available to us. It sounds so simple, but it's powerful to find hope in an often tragic history, to find hope in a tragic present, to remain hopeful. You may have noticed I talk about hope a lot. That's not going to stop. We need it. I need it right alongside you. And in remaining hopeful, how could we not get close? How could we not tell the truth? How could we not weather any discomfort that may come? This is why we're doing that as a congregation. When we join together with 26 other congregations that do not believe the same way we do, think the same way we do, worship the same way we do, but still commit to the same justice causes. We're experiencing that discomfort. We're experiencing the practice of telling the truth. We're experiencing getting close to people who do not look like us, feel like us, think like us. We're practicing it. We're hearing people speak truth to power. And we're invited into a deeper compassion to wrestle with uncertainty and discomfort when our elected leaders are called out in front of an assembly of thousands of people. And if you've not been a part of BUILD, what we're doing here yet, there is nothing stopping you. It's an important way for us to get closer to the injustices around us. And my hope is that it will also give us the tools to see injustice in our own midst and wherever we go and to keep being a voice of truth and hope. And we know that's not the only answer, right? That's just a piece of it. The place to begin with our community is to keep centering the truth around us. The hidden stories and histories, voices from the margins. We need to build upon the good justice work that we're already doing. But most important of all, we need to remember the hope. That sounds like a throwaway answer, but it isn't. We have a shortage of hope. And you have to cultivate it doesn't just pop out of the ground. You have to tend to it. You have to share it freely and not hoard it. You have to nurture it with understandings and histories and stories of times when human beings defied unimaginable circumstances and still believed in a better way. That is in part what a little room above the sanctuary at St. Paul's AME here in Lexington can show us. It's what any pocket of history tucked away can. It's right there. The possibility of endurance and resilience and thriving right there. And it's available to each and every one of us always. Not just during Black History Month or any other important month of celebration for marginal voices. It's always available, always speaking wisdom 
guiding us on the passage to freedom for all. May you be hopeful. May you be resilient. May you be compassionate. May it be so. Amen. I hope you've enjoyed this week's podcast. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit our website at www.ucl.org, where you can find more information about our grounds, staff, and upcoming events. You can also subscribe to our e-news there and learn about our virtual service offerings. We'll see you next week.